What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to or watching, as the case may be, Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. We are not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. And today we're going to talk about uh, the baptism of fire. I guess we're also going to touch on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the baptism of fire, John said that truly I baptize you with water, but there's one coming whose shoe latchets I'm not, I'm not fit to tie. And he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So we're going to talk about what that means today. Um, and we'll take some of your questions because I think I can explain this pretty quickly and pretty easily. So um, anyway, what's up, Missy Malone? We're doing really well. Um, that's right. And that's not the fire people want. Um, Terry Crooks, it's good to see you. And um, Angie B., good morning from Texas. Awesome. Uh, let me do something here real quick. Let me go to my trusty rusty e-sword. I got to find something. Ah. All right. Bear with me. Now, I'm, I'm where I need to be. All right. Good morning, Wayne Vaughn. Good to see you. Good to see everybody here. It always surprises me how well the crowd shows up on the YouTube. Um. Our little YouTube channel is getting quite the traction. And if we keep going on this trend where you all are subscribing, you're liking, you're sharing, you're commenting and all that good stuff, then will the Christianity Now Streams YouTube channel will be monetized by the end of the year. And, and that's not rapid. That's not fast. That's not viral. We're not going to be able to retire as content creators at the end of the year because our YouTube channel is monetized. But that's a step in the right direction. And I think that slow growth is sustainable growth, and that's the growth that you want. Uh, Holly H., it's good to see you this morning. Now, first off, as I'm, as I'm dealing with this listener question, I want you all to think of some questions that you might ask, and we'll see, we'll see how good this does. I've been asked before, Tony, why don't you ever do Q&As? I would love to do Q&As, but what I have found is at least with the crowd that we have gathered, um, there, there's not a lot of spont spontaneity in the Q&A session. So one person actually said, well, why don't you um, advertise a Q&A session, say, at the end of the month, and instead of having people write in Q questions live, uh, have them send you questions through an email. And I'm like, that's really good. That takes a little bit more organizational skills than I have available to participate in in the moment. but I would be open to doing that. Hello, Debbie Mangus. It's good to see you. I suppose before we do get started, as we do all the time, I want to turn your attention. Hello, Sword and Pearl. I want to turn your attention to the bottom third there, the lower third. And uh, yeah, are you part of a church congregation or any organization seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event? Look no further. Lindsay Dotson specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches, whether it's flyers, postcards, 
or social media graphics, Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message on Facebook or send an email, which is the preferred method, to lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com for more details. Don't miss this opportunity to make your message resonate both far and wide. Contact Lindsay Dotson at lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com today. Folks, she does a really good job, and we really appreciate her being a sponsor of the show. And when you do business with her, it directly affects and benefits the Christianity Now brand. Let me get to the, let me change this out. Uh, consider following us on Twitter or X, formerly known as Twitter, at One Chronicles One Two Three Two. Um, yeah, and that's it. All right. Uh, Reginald Perry, good morning to you, man. Glad you're here. So the question was asked. Well, the question come up in class uh, while teaching through the book of Acts about the baptism of fire. And one person believed that because, well, let me just read the verse. Um, Matthew 3, what is it? Verse 11. Yeah. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And folks kind of just stop at that verse. That's not the end of the thought, okay? There is a term that's really highbrow. It's highfalutin. I want us to familiarize ourselves with, and it's, and it's called epexegetical. The idea of something being epexegetical is it informs or clarifies or supports something that's already been said. All right. So, for instance, we'll take the a, a big controversy in the United States whenever uh, Donald Trump was running for re-election in 2020. The liberal left said, "Well, yeah, he considered white supremacists very fine people." And I'm like, okay, um, yes, Terry Crooks, absolutely. Um, Acts 1 indicates the Holy Spirit's baptism was intended to bestow miraculous gifts. Baptism by fire represents a form of punishment for those who refuse to repent due to godly sorrow over sins. And we're actually going to even nail that down more uh, specific to the context of what John the Baptist was saying and what that baptism by fire actually is. So back to the to the controversy around Donald Trump's statements, where when it comes to uh, taking down the Civil War monuments, which the liberal left wanted taken down, Donald Trump said, well, listen, I believe it was in Charlotte, North Carolina. He said, there's very good people on both sides of this argument. And then the very next words out of his mouth were epexegetical. They informed that statement. So whenever you took that one statement, whenever he said there are very good people on both sides, when you took that statement and interpreted it away from the next statement, which is epexegetical, you are bearing false witness against this man, and you are, whether you agree or not, you are lying about what he said and about the intentions and meaning of what he says. Hello, Diana Harden. So the epexegetical statement, he said, well, look, there are very good people on both sides. And then he goes, I'm not talking about the white supremacist. They're bad. They need to be condemned. 
But yet, because there were white supremacists in the crowd who thought that we ought to keep the statues, Donald Trump was accused of saying that white supremacists are very good people. And his phrase, his statement was taken out of its context. Well, you cannot interpret that that, that statement out of its context without the epexegetical statement, okay? With John the Baptist, here's what he says. And I'm, I'm not going to read the whole verse, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Okay. If that's all we have, and that's all we ever had, that this verse by itself would be very confusing. Even in light of other passages of scriptures, although if this is all we had, we still would have enough information to ascertain that the baptism with the Holy Ghost and fire is two separate phenomena. It's two separate actions. Okay? Now, listen to the next verse. Who's fa- because this, this informs on the one who is going to baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will turn up, he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Okay? Now here's the problem with using Matthew chapter 311 to define what Holy Spirit baptism is, or excuse me, what baptism with fire is. You don't have enough information. You cannot stop at 11 without getting 12. Baptism with fire is something you don't want. Now, here's another problem. And in fact, let me, let me read you something that was sent to me that this uh, listener wanted me to look at uh, and comment on. Let me open it up here. So, this is from... I sent something above about the about what we were talking about, the Holy Spirit, baptism, and, and fire. I have looked through a few commentaries, and this one was from Blue Letter Bible by Don Stewart. I want to know what you think, for, it, for I think it gives a good response, saying it could go two ways, you know, both ways. All right? So let's, let's look at it. Does the Holy Spirit baptize the believer with fire? The Holy Spirit in us. Question 10. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit baptizes people with fire in referring to the coming appearance of Jesus the Messiah. John the Baptist gave the following words. Well, here's just one problem. The Bible never says that the Holy Spirit baptizes people in general with fire. So automatically when I'm reading this, I can see that this person answering this question starts off from a faulty premise. The premise that is faulty is that the Holy Spirit is going to baptize people in general with fire. Here's the problem. The Holy Spirit was not promised to Christians in general. Never, ever, not one time in Scripture is there ever a verse in its context that can be interpreted as the Holy Spirit is promised to believers in general. It is always in the context of the apostles 
and their ability to carry out the Great Commission, equipping the saints that would come after them to carry out the Great Commission. And, and you well, Tony, prove that. I can't because it's not there. You're asking me to prove a negative. But you give me the verses that you think promises the Holy Spirit to Christians in general, and I'll put it in its context for you and show you what it really means. And I know that's a bold statement, and it's a statement that kind of makes people hedge or hunker down and, and, and hole up, but I can't help it. Uh, this is this, And again, this is not my first rodeo. I didn't just fall out of bed this morning and think, let's do this. This is something I've been giving deep study to for years and years. Um, yeah, so uh, Wayne Vaughn, it only incident on Judgment Day, Revelation 20. Yeah, that's not the baptism of fire. That's not Holy Spirit. That's not the, that's not the baptism of fire that John the Baptist is referring to. Um, if it, well, I'm, let me backtrack. If you interpret Revelation as being the destruction of Jerusalem, all right, if you interpret Revelation as the destruction of Jerusalem, then you could say that that baptism of fire is what Jesus or what John the Baptist was talking about, Matthew 3. I do not believe that Revelation is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, the end of the Jewish age. I believe that Revelation is speaking of the, the judgment of God uh, and the wrath of God poured out on the Roman Empire for how they treated the Christians in the, in the uh, burgeoning stage of the Lord's church. Uh, so we can get into that at another podcast. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm not going to fall out over that. Um, so somebody asked. Let me. Let me. Let me highlight this comment. So here's an example. And I, a Facebook user. I don't know who you are. I'm not being mean. I'm. I'm. I'm just going to be kind of blunt here. This is an example of what's called a non sequitur. All right. I say, and not that I say them. The Bible teaches, but this is my proposition. Nowhere in scripture, in any verse, can you put it in its context and come away with a right conclusion that the Holy Spirit is promised to individuals in general, to Christians in general. So the next question then, it doesn't logically follow then to say, so we don't have the Holy Spirit in us? Well, of course we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have God the Father in us and God the Son in us. That's that's not, I mean, the, the scriptures teach that. But that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit was promised to believers in general. In fact, God the Father and God the Son is not promised to indwell holy, holy, uh, uh, believers in general. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are described as indwelling in believers, or uh, indwelling believers in general. It's just a, it's just an a priori or an a posteriori uh, phenomenon. It's something that we know. It's something that we've learned because of what the Bible teaches, because the Bible says this is what is. It doesn't promise this is something that will come to be. It just says, look, uh, Paul, Paul in, in, Philippian, in, in Philippians, in Ephesians chapter 3, prays that wonderful prayer. And he prays, I pray that everybody knows this that the Father and the Son dwell in our hearts by faith. And then when you tie that into the context with the end of Ephesians chapter 2, the Holy Spirit surrounds the temple in which God resides 
of which Jesus is the chief cornerstone, and that's in your heart. That means the Holy Spirit's in your heart, and it's all by faith. So there's, 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 that's a non sequitur for, in other words, the, end, the, 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 the discussion about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in no way influences or informs the discussion about Holy Spirit baptism, the baptism of fire, and whether or not um, b- whether or not Christians are baptized with the Holy Spirit, or whether or not Christians or believers in general were promised the Holy Spirit. All right, let me get the let me get the caption back up. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put up the tip jar. Again, I do this only because I'm asked. Some of you like to send money through the tip jar, and we appreciate that. So he, he, this is the problem with the beginning of the person answering this question. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit baptizes people with fire. It says no such thing. Listen to what the Bible actually says. I indeed baptize you. All right, so who is the you grammatically in the text? That pronoun you, it's a second person pronoun. Who is it? Well, when you when you go back up in the in the in the chapter, you find that it is the scribes and the Pharisees, and then the common people. And it's the people that came out to hear John preach. So there were scribes and Pharisees, there were common people, and John said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me, so he's talking to this crowd, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, John didn't baptize everybody in the crowd with water under repentance. Some of them he did, some of them he did not. This is akin to the editorial we. Like, for instance, if you stand up in front of a crowd of people and say, you know, we just have to do better in the coming year about going and checking our mail every day. Well, last year, you may have checked your mail 365 days in a row. You don't need to do better, but you're using the editorial we because you're speaking to a crowd. Orators do this all the time when they say you. It's a general you. It's an editorial you. You, you people in the crowd, I'm baptizing you with water under repentance. Oh, but there's somebody coming, and I'm not even fit to carry his shoes. He's going to baptize you with fire, with the Holy Ghost. Well, what do you mean? Well, whose whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That, that but is an adversarial conjunction that conjoins two opposing ideas. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, he, Jesus' fan is in his hand. He's going to purge the floor, and he's going to gather his wheat into the garner. Then the fire comes after the gathering, after the winnowing. How do you win? Think about the the fan is the winnowing fan. He's on the threshing floor, and they're throwing up everything that had been harvested because 
the wheat and the tares were harvested together, the tares will fly off. They'll be gathered up and burned, and the wheat will be brought into the barn for harvest. That's the image. And if you were there on that day, that's what would bring to your mind. So there are two different things. There's the purging, the winnowing, okay? And then there's the burning. And the according to the adversarial conjunction, but you have the winnowing or the purging is a different action or act that is adversarial in nature to the winnowing or the purging, the, 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 the burning. So if we have the Holy Spirit, doesn't it mean that we are baptized in the Holy Spirit? Absolutely not. Uh, absolutely not. That is, that is not true. No. Um, the Holy Spirit baptism only ever happened three times. Two of them are recorded in Scripture. One of them happened off book. One of them happened with the Apostle Paul, and then Holy Spirit baptism um, happened on the day of Pentecost. And in, uh, did Peter go from Joppa to Caesarea or Caesarea to Joppa? Anyway, it happened in the household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Uh, that was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is promised by Joel. Joel chapter two. In fact, um, we can run back there. Ah, I don't know. I don't flip too good when I've got a finger. All right. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see vision and upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, uh, for it shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Well, when we fast forward to Acts chapter 2, um, when we fast forward to Acts chapter 2, we have um, P Peter standing up and says, look, these boys ain't drunk like y'all think. This, you're, you're, you're seeing played out what the prophet Joel spoke of when he said, and then Peter quotes or recites Joel chapter 2. But the interesting thing about Peter reciting Joel chapter 2 is he does it from the Septuagint. Now, in the Hebrew text, there is, and, and this is, y'all, this is amazing. Uh, let me go to my trusty, rusty e-sword. I almost wish that I could bring this up on the screen, but I can't. Um, let's see. Bear with me. E-sword. I could have found it. I found it quicker in the Bible. And it shall come to pass right here that I will pour out my spirit. Well, when you look at the, uh, at the, at the, at Esword, when it's got the Strong's numbers, there is a number in parentheses and it's called, and it's, and it's H853 and Brown driver and Briggs says that this ETH is an untranslated particle it occurs 111 times in the King James Bible. 
It's a sign of a definite direct object not translated in English, but generally preceding and indicating the accusative. All right. Now, that's a, what in the world does that mean? I have an empty bottle here, but pretend like this bottle is full. So this bottle is full of water. Now, I can say I'm going to pour out water onto the desk. If I wrote that in Hebrew, then there wouldn't be an un, an, uh, uh, there wouldn't be the sign of a definite direct object not translated into English. There wouldn't be this H853 because what I'm actually pouring out is the water. However, that's not the language that's used. Listen to it. And I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Here's what I declare. I am going to pour out my bottle on this desk. What am I pouring out? See, now I, there is a, a non-translated into English, untranslated, unspoken particle. The accusative is not the bottle. The accusative is unspoken. The accusative there is the water. I'm going to pour out my water from my bottle upon the desk. Well, the way that this is spoken, the way this is written by Joel, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh on a surface read. It sounds like God is saying, and it shall come to pass that I will pour my spirit out. But when you look deeper, and then when you go to Acts chapter 2, let me go there on my trusty rusty. I believe it's, yeah, right here, starting in verse 16. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Listen to this. Listen to what Peter says. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit. Why does Peter add the preposition of, because it needs to be there. All right? Remember, whenever you read your English translation of the Bible, you're reading it translated from Hebrew to English. What Peter is quoting, who translated from Hebrew to Greek, then it was translated from Greek to English. All right? So I'm going to, God said, I'm going to pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. What did God pour out of his spirit? It's power. Upon whom was the power poured? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's go to, let's go to the book of Luke. Luke 24, and I'm going to get your comments here in just a second. Uh, Luke 24, 44, I think. Yeah. So unto whom was this power from the Holy Spirit promised? Or about whom was it prophesied that, that God would pour out his, his power from his Holy Spirit? Well, Luke 24, 44, listen to what he says. And he said unto them, Jesus said unto them, the apostles, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled. Nope, nope, not 44, dummy. Um, 49. <laughs> And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. This word endued, by the way, listen to the definition of it. I think you'll find it interesting. To sink into, to put on, 
to be overwhelmed, uh, to um, endue, to uh, have put on. Folks, it sounds an awful lot like baptism. To enter, to put on, to clothe, to invest, to array, to clothe oneself, to be clothed. Folks, Holy Spirit baptism happened on the day of Pentecost, and it happened to the apostles only. Why? Because that was the promise, that was the prophecy. None of this language in Acts chapter 2 about the Holy Spirit applies to me and you today. It's all about the age of the miraculous and God equipping humanity to promulgate the new covenant. In fact, we can even go to the book of Mark and and read um, So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following folks. The Holy Spirit was promised to the apostles, and it wasn't the person of the Holy Spirit that was promised. It was power. That's what Joel said was going to be poured out. That's what Peter reiterated was going to be poured out, and that's what was poured out. Jesus said, I give to you the promise of the Father, but you're going to have to wait for it in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. That's baptism of the Holy Spirit. How did that look whenever it happened to somebody else? Well, you can go to Acts chapter 10 and Cornelius, and Cornelius spake in tongues, his, him and his household. Tongues are a sign, according to 1 Corinthians 14, to them that believe not. Right, Oral Roberts, Benny Hinn, nor Ted Knight has been baptized with the Holy Spirit, and no one else ever will be with the Holy Spirit. Exactly. Uh, Tony, is the dreams or vision mentioned prophecy? If I'm understanding what you're asking, uh, Scott, the dreams and the visions mentioned in Joel, reiterated in, in, by Peter in Acts, they can be prophetic in nature, as in they can be future-telling. Or they could be what's called forth Telling so that the revelation is is can serve. Let me make sure I'm not saying more than I intend. Let me put it like this: Revelation can serve one or the other, and sometimes both foretelling and fort and forth telling. Now, what does that mean? Well, to foretell something is to tell the future. So it has been foretold, meaning. What's going on now was told before, all right? So that means somebody knew the future. Like if, if somebody told you three weeks ago, well, if somebody told you in October of 2023 that on January the 4th of 2024, Tony Brewer is going to be doing a live stream and we're going to be talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit, not the gift of the Holy Spirit, the, 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 the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of fire, well, that was foretold. All right, so that person in October told you the future. That's foretold. But what is forth telling? Well, if you don't have a Bible, 
and you don't, and you don't, in the first century, you don't have a copy of God's word and you're a New Testament prophet, then you are telling forth something that has already been revealed. In other words, this divine knowledge from heaven has been brought down and you are telling forth God's will out of that compendium of knowledge that was given unto mankind through revelation. It went to the apostles first. The apostles disseminated it. Okay, good deal. I was scared that I wasn't exactly understanding your question. So the the dreams and visions, they could very well be foretelling, and they very well could be foretelling, or they could be doing both. Uh, You would just have to look at each time a dream or vision happened recorded in the New Testament and Okay, so is this telling forth, or is this foretelling, or is this doing both? All right. Um, Connie Barden, Holy Spirit baptism before the apostles was to give them power to preach the gospel. Cornelius and his house were given it to show the acceptance of the Gentiles as Paul, and Paul was to establish him as an apostle. Yes, those are the three. And again, we don't see Paul's baptism of the Holy Spirit. That happened off stage. Um. So no one speaks in tongues today. Absolutely not. Nobody. Oh, they try, but it's just a bunch of gibberish. There there are no miraculous endowments at all. Um, Terry Crook says, Peter speaks of the Holy Spirit baptism as a gift from God. This passage highlights that baptism in the Holy Spirit and water baptism for the remission of sins cannot be the same thing. Uh, it, listen, I, 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 I just talked through this, so it's fresh on my mind. I absolutely love the dichotomy of narration between Acts 10 and Acts 11. In Acts 10, we get kind of a, an overview. We get the important parts. You have a contingent of, of Christians who were converted out of Judaism with Peter, and they go to the household of Cornelius. Household? The, household of Cornelius, and then Peter preaches the gospel to him, to the household. Uh, well, see, now you see how I'm getting it. I'm, I'm not telling it precisely. So Peter preaches the gospel. The Holy Ghost falls on the household of Cornelius. They speak in tongues. The, the unbelievers, the, the, the people that came uh, with Peter was convinced that of a truth, God is no respecter of persons. So if you obey the gospel, you are in the kingdom. And then when he gets back to Jerusalem, he's hauled before a magistrate, before a, 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 a tribunal, if you will. And the scripture tells us he rehearses the matter by in order from the beginning. How does he do that? What, what's, what's the Bible say there? Bear with me. Here I bragged about just teaching through this so it's fresh on my mind. All right. And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went us in and did to men uncircumcised, and you ate with them. You ain't supposed to do that. You ain't supposed to do that. That's me, not the Bible. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning and expounded it by order unto them. So, what we have going on in, in Acts chapter 11 is a more detailed account. 
it's an account like you might give um, if you're on the witness stand. Like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell my buddy what I did last night, but if I need to stand, if I need to get on the witness stand and convince a jury of my peers that I did what I said my told my buddy that I did, because if I'm proven to be lying, then I'm going to be a suspect for murder. You better believe that I'm going to rehearse the matter from the beginning in order of the th- ways that it's happened. I don't want to be very careful about that. Anyway. Yes, Reginald Perry. Yeah, people speak in tongues all the time nowadays. I guess I should say, shouldn't I? I'm speaking in a tongue. I'm speaking English. Kinda. Kinda speaking English. Y'all, this has been this is so fun. I love talking about this. We ain't even got to the baptism of fire. Um so let me see if there's any comments that I missed that I'd like to get. To, to this Facebook user, I feel like I'm treating you rudely. And I don't mean to treat you rudely. I just don't know your name. So I feel, anyway, you ain't got to tell me your name if you want to remain anonymous. I just, please don't think because I'm speaking very, in a very familiar and affectionate way with these other people that I see their names. And if I'm not speaking that way towards you, it's it's not my intention to come off that way. I promise. I enjoy your questions and they're good questions. So don't, don't think that anyway, maybe, maybe I'm a little too neurotic. Any, thank you for being with us. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for commenting. And, uh, yeah, that's about all I got to say about that. So let's kind of shift gears to this baptism of 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 fire uh let me let me go back to this oh i lost it yeah right here so as we've laid the foundation the initial statement here that the bible says that the holy spirit baptizes people with fire is wrong it's built on a faulty faulty premise all right so here's what he said he says option one the promise refers to believers. Some see this as baptism of fire. Some see this baptism of fire as a promise to believers only. They think they link it to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which was something which only believers experienced. There's just one problem. Believers did not experience, believers in general did not experience Holy Spirit baptism. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave off this person's commentary because I don't think it's valuable enough to even consider because he, he, he or she, I can't remember, uh, starts out immediately with a faulty premise with, with, with a misunderstanding of scripture. Uh, yeah, Terry, I don't know if I, uh, acknowledged your comment, but the Acts 11 compare it with Acts 10, 44 through 48. Yeah, and incidentally, that was called the gift of the Holy Ghost. Exactly what Acts chapter 2 was called, the gift of the Holy Ghost. All right, now, let's talk about this baptism of fire. So, we go to Mark chapter 3, 11. If all we read is 11, we'll be confused. Let's read 12. So, we, I've, I've made the point grammatically from verse 12. Baptism of fire is not something you want. It is antithetical to Holy Spirit baptism, 
Holy Spirit baptism is considered a purging or a winnowing. And, and, and I'm using winnowing on purpose because we're about to go to Mark chapter 13 and look at this parable that I think is grossly misapplied and taken out of its context by my fellow believers. In fact, I, I think people who are much more intelligent than I that should know better, they apply the parable of, of the wheat and the tares to the wrong coming of Jesus. And if we apply the parable of the wheat and the tares to the right coming of Jesus, then it's a lot easier to figure out what Holy Spirit baptism or what baptism of fire is. All right. Y'all, I cannot believe the amount of people we've had in the stream today. Thank you so much. Remember, your interaction with this live stream, whether it's through a share or a like on YouTube, a subscription or anything, that is YouTube and Facebook's way of saying, hey, let's push this content out to more people. It is the strongest thing you can do for free in the algorithm to make our content seen. So thank you very much for that. Um, all right. Why is it that the, that, that, that the Holy Spirit or that baptism of fire is different from Holy Spirit baptism and is not something that was given generally to all believers or even generally to all uh, non-believers? Well, here it is. Let's, let's just go to Matthew 13, and we're going to read this parable, and then I'm going to put this parable in its context. And we're going to talk about the baptism of fire. All right. Oops. Another parable. This is verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in the field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? Talking about the tares. But he said, Nay, lest while you gather the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say unto the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles, and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Another parable, like a grain of mustard. Um, let me go read in verse 36. So, the, then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. So now, a parable is a heavenly truth encapsulated in an, in, an, in an earthly story. A parable is using something that we really understand to teach something that is more abstract and difficult to understand. Well, evidently the disciples had an issue with this one. Like, we don't understand. Explain to, explain to this about the parable of the tares. 
So Jesus explains it. Verse 37, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angel. All right, now let me let me go to Matthew 13, and I want to I want to I'm not going to do a whole lot of this, but we are going to look at a couple of words in Greek, and we're going to make a point from the grammar. All right, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. All right. Now, the world there's cosmos. That's like the world, the earth. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. So the kingdom is in the world, just like the Jewish kingdom was in the world. All right. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sold them is the devil and the harvest is the end of the world. Well, now, wait a second. This word world in 39 is different from the word world in the other verse. The harvest is at the end of the age. The word used here is eon. Kim Wade, Tony, when we obey the gospel, aren't we separated from the old man and are now a new man and given God's word as a guide? Back in that time, they didn't have written guidances. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't have written guidance at all. That's why that's why you had that's why the age of miracles went until that which is perfect is come, which is a a a predestined a predetermined point in time where there was enough of this revelation written down that we would have what we needed that pertain to life and godliness. But yeah, that's why all of this stuff was happening in the first century is because, well, take take in Acts chapter 8, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Again, this is another thing that people kind of get turned upside down on. Uh, What does Philip say to the eunuch? Do you understand what you're reading? Well, the eunuch says, how can I accept some man guide me? Folks, the reason the eunuch couldn't understand what the book of Isaiah is because he didn't have this little book right here. This is a New Testament. If the eunuch would have had the book of Acts, the eunuch would have, would have not have needed Philip. Philip was a walking, talking New Testament. On the, on the day of Pentecost, there were, tw- and this is another thing, Revelation was not here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. Revelation was not done in piecemeal. The apostles were guided into all truth on the day of Pentecost. There were 12 walking and talking New Testaments on the day of Pentecost, and everything else functioned out of the several parts And then once that which is perfect has come, we have our canon of scripture. Now, the church functions out of that which is perfect. It is interesting to me that fire is almost always used negatively after Matthew 3, 
everlasting hell, never quenched, etc. Absolutely. Too much Baptist teaching? Let me tell you something. What I'm teaching, I don't think you know any Baptist then. <laughs> Good grief, man. Too much Baptist teaching. What have I taught that aligned? I mean, I've, I, trust me, I've, I've made it my mission in life to be a teacher of the Bible. And I am familiar with what denominations out there are teaching. And while there's overlap a little bit between different denominations, what I'm teaching today would not be accepted in any Baptist congregation, at least in Western culture. I don't know where you're from. You may say I'm misguided. You may say I'm wrong, but you got to tell me where and why and how. And to say, well, you're just too much Baptist teaching. That's you're a bigot. What makes you think you can? Uh, that, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Baptist teaching. It's not Baptist teaching. The Baptist would not. The Baptist would run me out of Dodge. I know, because I've been run out of Dodge. By the Baptist. They don't like what I'm teaching here today. The Baptists love their Holy Ghost. They want that Holy Ghost living right in them and teaching them and guiding them and helping them when they don't know what to say and all that good stuff. They, the, that, that's, you're not listening very closely to what I'm saying, or you're ignorant as to what Baptist teaching actually is. And I'll be done with that. All right. Now, check this. Don't miss this right here. The field is the word is the field is the world. That's the cosmos. All right. That's verse 38. But in 39, the harvest is at the end of the, the word is not cosmos. The word is a I O N. We pronounce it eon. And in modern translations, this word is correctly translated age. So I'm going to read it the way it would be correctly translated. The enemy that sold them is the devil, and the harvest is at the end of the age. And the reapers are the messengers, the angelos. The King James says angels. But listen, this is not, I put forth to you, this is not angels like heavenly beings. This is just messengers that are sent out for a purpose, okay? Now, here's the reason why I say that. Listen to it. Verse 40, as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so, the word so, and you might as well say in this manner, shall it be in the end of, now this is very, very important. I want you to listen. I hope Ted Knight's in here. I'm going to borrow something from him. Folks, I want you to lean in and listen to this. In this manner, so shall it be in the end of this age. The King James says world, but the word is eon, it's age. In what age was Jesus speaking? From Jesus' perspective, what would be this? age. Folks, this would be the end of the Jewish dispensation of time. So what's going to happen at the end of the Jewish dispensation of time? I'm glad you ask. 
remember that highfalutin word, epexegetical? This, this next, what he's about to explain, informs on that. Verse 41, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels. Go ye into all the world and preach a gospel to every creature. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. And they shall gather out of his kingdom. Well, wait a second. They're going to gather out of his kingdom or out of the world. No, out of his kingdom. You're going to be my witnesses and you're going to preach in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the other most, utter, utter, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. But you're going to start to the Jews first. And they're going to gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity. And they shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of of their father who hath ears to hear, let him hear. So if you've got a set of ears, this is for you. If you are listening in the first century and you're a Jew, if you don't repent ye for the kingdom of heaven that at hand and obey the teaching of John the baptizer to become a disciple of Christ and remain faithful, even until God pours out his wrath on Jerusalem, which, according to Matthew chapter 24, that's exactly what's going to happen. And in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says it's spoken of as a second coming, but it's not a, it's not a literal second coming where Jesus comes in the clouds in his person, but he comes through the medium of punishment, of wrath. Well, the baptism of fire where all of the things that cause offense are burned off, where the children of the Father shine forth as the sun after the destruction of Jerusalem, it was incontrovertible that these prophecies came true, that Christians are now the children of God, Christians are spiritual Israel, and the baptism of fire is taking place the baptism of the Holy Spirit has already taken place, and we have everything in the world we need. Now we are functioning out of that which is perfect. And I'm pretty adamant these days. Eh, I still go back and forth. I'm really thinking that the age of miracles ended abruptly at AD 70 with the destruction of Jerusalem. But anyway, that's what that, that baptism of fire is the exact same language. The baptism of fire is the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, now, somebody asked, let me see if I can find these. Come on, come on, come on. Well, I can't find the comment on the fly, but the comment prompted me to say something to the effect that, yes, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was to equip the apostles with the ability to preach the word, to uh, found the, Lo the Lord's church in, in the first century, and the baptism of fire is his baptism of punishment and judgment. But I don't think that's talking about the end of the world, the second coming. I think that is, I think, Matthew chapter 13 is a prophetic parable 
where Jesus says, look, this is what's going to happen at the end of this age. I do not believe Matthew chapter 13 and the parable of the wheat and the tares are about, um, are about the second coming of Jesus. I think it's about the end of the Jewish dispensation of time. The baptism of the Holy Spirit was the harbinger of the end of the Jewish dispensation of time. That is why Jesus said, listen, all manner of blasphemy can be forgiven. You can even blaspheme the Son of Man, but if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you're, there's no hope for you. That's an unforgivable sin. And that's because there's nothing else that's going to help you. You are going to be like those poor people uh, the Hebrews writer wrote about, wrote about in the book of Hebrews. Check this out. Hebrews chapter 6. Um, do, 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 do. Where is it at? Hebrews 6, yeah, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing that they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. I am fully convinced that the book of Hebrews was written during the approximate 18-month window where Vespasian and Titus came to quell this rebellion of the Jews. Uh, what's his face? Nero was kicked off the throne. Vespasian and Titus were called back. Vespasian was crowned emperor, and Vespasian sent Titus back to finish the job some 18 months later, some 18 months later, Jerusalem was raised to the ground and on the temple mount, not one stone stood above another. According to the historian Josephus, not one follower of the way was harmed during the destruction of Jerusalem because them suckers got out. Ted Hook Knight, but at the end of time, the suffering of the fire at that time will be unbelievably terrible. Yes, you let me tell you something. Apocalyptic language begs to be appropriated. And that's why I think so many of my well-meaning brethren miss Matthew 13 and the wheat and the tares. That language is apocalyptic language. And if you appropriate it to Jesus' second coming, it works perfectly and it teaches the same message. You better be right with God. Whenever this winnowing takes place, I, I don't want to be cast in outer darkness where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. I, I want to be on God's side. I don't want the baptism of fire. I want the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm not looking forward to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Technically, not technically, literally, but I'm looking forward to my reward in heaven for eternity. Yeah, that's look, and, and and incidentally, in my opinion, you know what opinions are worth. That that's such a powerful lesson to preach is put that wheat and tares in its context and talk about the destruction of Jerusalem and how terrible that was. And now say, as bad as that was, let's apply every bit of this language to when Jesus returns. And then you can go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and read about the trumpet sounding, the dead in Christ arising first, 
then we who are alive and Terry will we'll go up with him. We're going to meet him in the air. If we're right with God, whenever those trumpets sound, we're not going to be baptized with fire. We're going to be accepted into the fold for eternity in heaven, in the ethereal region, just like we were metaphorically or metaphysically accepted into the fold because we obeyed the instructions that the Holy Spirit delivered from Jesus Whenever we put the man of sin to death by repentance and submitted our dead body to be buried in a watery grave of baptism. Listen, if you, if you can't figure out something to preach, you ought to go read the Bible. There's plenty of real good sermons in it. Ada Badger McIntyre. My God is still supernatural. My God's still powerful. I speak in tongues. I tell you what, Ada. I will fly you to where I am and I will give you $10,000. If you, you don't even have to do it. You can just bring somebody with you. If you can do a miracle, if you or anybody can do a miracle, there's no, a miracle has to be, let's see, what are the three prerequisites for a miracle? It's got to be notable, manifest to all and undeniable. Watch this. I just did a miracle. I just fixed my teeth. Oh, now I fixed them back. See? God does the miracle. That, that's, that's a cop-out, you coward. Gainsayer, backbiter. The miracle is done by the power of God, but it's the individual that does the miracle. Have you not read? Whenever Paul wrote to the church in Corinth that the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets, if you have the ability to do miracles, then that ability is subject to you. God gives liberally and upbraideth not. That's it. We'll go to the cemetery, and if you raise a dead person, I'll raise one at the same time. Or I tell you what, Ted, we can go to the cemetery, and I'll let her Tell, out, tell the dead people to get up, and I'll tell them to stay down. We'll see who's more powerful. All right. And here's the thing. I know people that think the age of miracles still happens, and I'm nice to them. I'm not treating them like I'm treating you because you came in vitriolic and bigoted. I'm treating you the way Jesus would have treated you. It is trendy to say, set us on fire, baptize us in fire, especially in the new apostolic reformation. It is. And, and I'm telling you, man, they, it, um, man, sword and pearl. I'm telling you, man, uh, your picture doesn't look very mannish to me. Anyhow, um, I'm telling you, that that's what blows my mind is some of these uninformed statements that I hear people make. And look, everything that I've taught here today, you ain't got to agree with a hundred percent of it. I mean, there, there's people who disagree with me that I'm on good terms with that, that we're going to be in heaven. This is just, this is just the way I teach it. Now I will say this, the thing that we do agree on is that the baptism of the Holy spirit only happened three times. And the baptism of the fire, well, that's something that you don't want. 
and it doesn't happen to believers. It's going to, it's, it's, they, they, it's either from there, if they disagree with what I've taught here today, they, they still believe that the baptism of fire is punishment and not something promised that's a good thing. That's right. Uh, if, yeah, otherwise, if the spirit of the apostles were not subject to the, excuse me, too many words in my head. If the spirit of the prophets were not subject to the prophets, they couldn't have abused the miracles, which is what Corinth was doing. Isn't that wild? Man, I don't think we got a lot. I don't think we got time for Q and A. We did. We did ask some questions. Uh, we did answer some questions. Where's the? Let me see. That's it. Paul stated that miracles would cease and be done away when the perfect or completed word of God had been revealed. Um, and Ben, this is me being pedantic. I'm going to repeat. This is me being pedantic. I have no problem with what you just said. I think I would, again, pedantic. I'm being pedantic. Uh, I think I would change. I don't think I would say revealed. And I've thought about this a lot. Peter wrote 2 Peter 1 3, according as he has given unto us all. Uh, oh, Tony, let me go read that. I can't quote it. I, I, I messed it up and therefore I can't get it back. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that had called us to glory and virtue. Well, this was written, this, this was not the last thing ever written. So I think, I can't remember when Second Peter was written. I think it was either in the mid-60s or early 60s. Well, in the mid to early 60s, according to Peter, we had all things that pertain to life and godliness. So revelation had been completed. It just hadn't been written down. So generally speaking, me and you have a conversation. I have no problem with saying um, Paul stated that miracles would cease and be done away with when the perfect had been revealed. Let me make sure I'm conveying my message correctly. Yeah, I don't know another way of saying it exactly because, like I said, that which is perfect, it's our canon of Scripture. It's our canon of Scripture. So was it revealed or what? I don't know. Ben, I don't have a good solution. Just keep saying revealed. And we'll, if, if, if somebody has any more questions, we'll clean it up. Anyway, those things that were incomplete and partial, that's the miraculous gifts, would be replaced by the total and complete, the fully revealed word of God. Yeah, it's our, it's our, it's our canon of scripture. That, that's, that's the thing. That's that, that which is perfect. All right. I love that. I, I wish I knew who said that in the first place. Somebody that somebody that claims that they're able to do the miracles of the old te- of, of the of the of the new covenant of the first century. Well, let's go to let's go to the cemetery, and I'll I'll pray to God that he that he keeps them there, and uh, and you you pray that he raises them up, and we'll see which one we'll see whose word's stronger. And and Ben, remember Ben. Please understand, I'm just being pedantic. It, honestly, it made me feel like Keith Moser. You remember whenever we'd say to Brother Moser, 
Hey, Brother Mosier, how are you doing? He go, how am I doing what? And uh, Brother Mosier forced us or forced me, I suppose, into this pedancy. Like you couldn't say, yeah, uh, how's your kids? Brother Mosier would go, you mean you're raising goats? Humans don't have kids. They have children. So anyway, uh, Kim Wade says, there's not going to be any more Pauls or Peters to tell us what Jesus taught them. Ooh, ooh, ooh. So good. Now I can't remember what verse. John. 1720. Yeah, I miss him too, Ben. Um, John 1720. Neither pray I for these alone, but for all those that shall believe on me through their word, that they may be one, Father, as I are in thee, and thou art in me, that the world may know that thou sent me. Has it ever occurred to you? And it occurred to me, and I it blew my mind. There is not a man or woman in the last 2,000 years that has obeyed the gospel because of a direct word from God. It's always people have obeyed the gospel because of the record from a witness who witnessed what Jesus said. Like, that's amazing. That's how powerful the written word is. And that's how, that's why we need to, to study not just this Bible, but we need to study how we got it in the first place. Uh, Brother Lightfoot, is that his name? He does a really, he wrote, he wrote a really good book on how we got the Bible. Uh, I love the topic of how we got the Bible. Well, Keith Mosier, uh, I don't think you can purchase this book anymore, but um, what's it called? I've got a copy of it. I got a hard copy of it. Um, The Book God Breathed by Keith Mosier. Man, we really need to, I, I, I almost, okay. This has just entered into my mind. I would love to, here in Canada, get the rights to some of the literature from our brethren in the United States, not because I want to make money, but because I want to make it available to people in Canada. All of these churches in Canada, they're studying denominational materials. The, um, the, there's this one school. I can't remember what it's called. It's called the Great Lakes Bible College. It might as well be a Baptist college. I mean, they, they study. It's, it's just a mess. And, and the, the, the Bible teachers coming out of there, they believe in the age of miracles is still here. They believe in the illumination of the Holy Spirit. They believe that um, they, they believe in prophecy and witchcraft and the supernatural and the occult. They believe in open fellowship. They study, like all of their textbooks are from denominations. It's just a mess. And they, they believe marriage, divorce, and remarriage that, you know, if, you, if you've been married nine times and you get baptized, you're still fine and all that good stuff. Mm. Thank you, Scott Beck. Scott Beck put a uh, link to Amazon.com, How We Got the Bible by Neil Lightfoot. Neil Lightfoot, as far as I know, was a brother in Christ. 
And I, I would recommend this book. But anyway, I, I really appreciate that comment right there. That's a good one to go out on. There's not going to be any more Pauls or Peters to tell us what Jesus taught them. That's right. And the beautiful thing is it doesn't have to be. That's uh, amazing. Neither pray I for these alone, but for all those that shall believe on me through their word. We can be unified on the words of the apostles because of verbal plenary inspiration. All scriptures given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and correction and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Folks, study your Bible. The church is dwindling here, and there may be two faithful congregations here in Alberta, unless another small one uh, is beyond me. It's a sugar, it's super expensive to get. Yes, well, we just got the the Apologetics Press Study Bibles. Um, we ordered fifty of them, and to get them on ground is going to be about thirteen hundred bucks. Now, only half of that, well, less than half of that is the Bible themselves, is the Bibles themselves. But we've got a gospel meeting uh, coming up with Todd Clippard. And we're, um, anyway, yeah, that's, that's what we're doing. But I, I think it would be neat to uh, figure out a portal where we can get some of this good material. And we need to take back Canada from these pseudo-denominational Christians. Yeah, the bulk was shipping in the tax. Yep, yep. All right. Well, guys, look, to sum up, baptism of fire, not anything you want. It's punishment, generally speaking. However, in my studied opinion, my conviction is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was poured out, was given performed on the apostles, the household of Cornelius, and Paul, and the baptism of fire, that happened in AD 70 at the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, thank you, Sword and Pearl. We really appreciate you. Thank you, Diana Harden. Um, <laughs> Maslow, what are you doing? He's sleeping. Uh, Tony, you've outdone yourself in this wonderful explanation. Keep teaching the truth, praying for you and your family. Thank you so much. Yeah, Maslow needs prayers too. Uh, anyway, God bless every one of y'all. I'm going to say goodbye. Um, remember, uh, keep us in your prayers, share, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. And, uh, baptism of fire, not anything you want. God bless you. And, uh, we'll catch you on the flip side.